Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the, the Big, Big Dinosaur, Dinosaur Podcast, Podcast, where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today's podcast is brought to you by the Royal Tyrrell Museum, which is located in southern Alberta, Canada, one of the top paleontological research institutes in the world. The entire museum is dedicated to the science of paleontology. It's definitely a must-see for every dinosaur enthusiast. More information can be found at tyrrellmuseum.com. This week, our dinosaur of the day is Irritator, and we have a bunch of dinosaur news. Before we get into all of that, we just want to say thank you to all of our patrons on Patreon, and it is the end of the month, so time for that shout-out for our awesome $5 patrons. So, this month, we want to say a big thanks to Chris, Nicholas, Kyle and Betsy, Scotty, Jackson, Megan, and Kyle. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. And if any of you have checked out our Patreon page lately, uh, you may have noticed that we have some cool new reward levels. And this is in anticipation of our 100th episode, which is just a few weeks away. And we will be celebrating that at SVP this year. And we're hoping to celebrate with you. So some of our rewards reflect that. And also between now and October 21st, if you get in, that's when you'll be able to get in on these special reward levels. And all of the funds between now and then will help us to get to SVP because we're in on the conference, but we still do have to travel there. Yeah, we're really excited to go and cover all the dinosaur news that's definitely going to come out of it, but it is kind of expensive. Yeah, so thanks again to all of our current supporters, and feel free to check out the new cool reward levels at patreon.com slash inodino. Jumping into the news, the first story was sent to us by Mountain Matt on Twitter and Alexander on Facebook. So there's a really well-preserved Cetacosaurus that has been on display at the Seckenberg Museum in Frankfurt, Germany, for about the last 12 years. And when I say it's very well-preserved, it's pretty remarkable. It has a nearly complete skeleton, including the skull, all four limbs, vertebrae, hips, ribs, and all that good stuff. And it has a very interesting row of bristle-like filaments that stick straight out of the top of the tail, like an upside-down broom, basically. But most interestingly, it has preserved skin, including scales, all the way from the head to the tail of the dinosaur. So it basically looks like there's a skeleton, and then over the skeleton is draped a skin that got preserved right with it and it it has the same shape as the bone so it kind of like flattened over it's really interesting looking so this find has been published on several times before including a previous paper by Lingham and Plodowski in Naturwissenschaften I think is how you say it indicating that quote skin pigment within a partially degraded bone indicates that Cetacosaurus was scavenged shortly after death end quote which is kind of interesting I guess some of its skin was mashed into the bone like something was chewing on it they also noted that the animal appeared to have countershading and if you're not familiar with countershading you can think of a shark or a fish are easy places to see it 
And on a great white shark, even though they're called great white sharks, it's really only their belly that's white, and then their back is actually kind of a dark blue, and then around the edges it kind of fades into a lighter blue. That's because if you're another fish and you're looking at a great white shark from below, the white blends in with the sky above, and from above, the dark blue blends in with the water below you, which is much darker. And then from the side is really where the counter shading takes the most effect because the dark fades to light around the side. Since it's being lit directly from above, it makes the appearance of an even color around the whole animal, and that makes it harder to see. So it's a kind of camouflage by counteracting the sunlight. So if it's moving, you just see it's harder to see what's there. But in a new paper by Jacob Vinther and others published in Current Biology, they wanted to test just how much countershading this Cetacosaurus had. So they used an electron microscope to look for melanosome shapes. As we've mentioned before, the shape of a melanosome can tell you if a pigment is black or reddish brown. And since the skin was well preserved, there are some melanosomes in there, and they could figure out the pattern of these melanosomes, which is pretty interesting. They also used laser-simulated fluorescence to look for color patterns on the preserved skin and managed to come up with a pattern for pretty much the entire body. Separately, they took known information about the size and shape of a Cetacosaurus, and they got one modeled out of clay. Then they lit it in both direct light and diffuse light, so they could see the exact pattern of lighting on the body. And like in my example of a shark, you'd know that the back is going to get lit more. So with counter shading, you would make that darker. And then the underside, which isn't lit as well, you make a little lighter to make it more even. But if it's in diffuse lighting versus direct lighting, it gives you kind of a different pattern and a different, a different fade along the sides if it's direct, you'd have a little bit more of a stark contrast, and if it's diffuse light, then it fades a little more gradually on the sides. So when they had the model built and they took pictures of it in lighting, separate from their other research where they were looking at the melanosomes and the patterns of color on the Cetacosaurus, they found that the diffuse lighting model matched really well with the Cetacosaurus's actual pigment pattern. The one place where it didn't really work was on the face where there's a dark stripe across it, and they hypothesized that that might be for, you know, sexual display or something like that rather than just camouflage. This is especially neat because it's also pretty direct evidence that Cetacosaurus lived in a place with diffuse lighting. And where would you find diffuse lighting? Basically a forest is one place you might find it. And so you can hypothesize that, okay, Cetacosaurus probably lived in a forest and ate things that would be found in a forest and did other things that you would expect an animal to do in a forest, rather than behaving ways you would expect in an open field or some other environment with more direct sunlight. The best part of the study, though, is that at the end, they built a replica to match their findings, and it looks really awesome. It's all over the internet, so you've probably already seen it, but if you haven't, go to our blog and click the link in the show notes because everybody needs to see it. Yeah, I think the way the Guardian article started out was like, it was like paparazzi around this replica, but it was all researchers. 
who yeah. are really excited. Yeah, and there's an anecdote about how one of them reaches out to touch the bristly things sticking out of the tail. <laughs> and the other ones are like, okay, I guess I'm going to touch it now too. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks really cool. It's really fun to look at. And they also comment in that article that, you know, paleo artists now have a little bit more to work with because we know some of the patterns from other animals that have feathers as well as now this one with its skin pattern. So gives us a little more information. As far as I can tell, it's still on display at the Senckenberg Museum. And if you want to find out where that is in Frankfurt, it's on our website in the Dinosaur Museum section. So you can find it if you're ever in or near Frankfurt. Yep, pretty exciting. Next, also pretty exciting, well... It depends. According to Telegraph, Jurassic World 2 may have a $260 million budget, which is $110 million more than Jurassic World had, which would be awesome because you could just imagine what kind of dinosaurs they could make with that. But there's some people who are skeptical about this budget size, especially since the film apparently isn't at a point yet where the budget can even be finalized. And then there's talk of, well, there's no way it would be that much. So could just be a rumor, but... Interesting. It's amazing you could get all of that stuff done for $150 million with all those people involved. 110 yeah. You said it's 110 more. Oh, you're right. Next, thanks to Patrick, Adorable Machine, and Scotty, who shared this one with us via Facebook and Twitter. It's popular, and once I watched it, I knew why. So, Audi has a hilarious commercial called The Comeback, and it features... The once king T-Rex struggling with modern life. And this T-Rex struggles to make his bed, you know, the short arms, and struggles to use ATMs also because of his short arms. And then so this makes him more and more depressed. And the whole commercial is you see him doing these things and then he's got this depressed voiceover talking about it. But then he gets in an Audi with piloted driving and says, quote, it was absolute magic. It completed me. End quote. And the T-Rex is shown in the car with his tail sticking out the back window. So we'll post a link on our blog so you can watch it too if you haven't already. Next, thanks to Patrick for sharing this one with us via Facebook. According to VR Focus, PlayStation VR showed part of a Godzilla game at the 2016 PlayStation Conference in Japan this year. There's not much known about it, but it's called Shin Godzilla. It's made by Sony Interactive Entertainment Japan Asia and the film studio Toho. And it will launch on October 13th in Japan for free for a limited time. The game will launch around the same time as the movie Shin Godzilla, or Godzilla Resurgence, which will have a limited theater release between October 11th and 18th. I wonder what you'll get to do. Do you think you'll get to be Godzilla? That would be fun. That would be in VR, in Smash Buildings. Yeah. <laughs> like that, what was that N64 game, like Rampage or something, where you could either be Godzilla, King Kong, or so there was one other creature that you could be and you just went around smashing buildings all the time. Oh, really? I don't remember that game. It was pretty fun. It did get old kind of quickly, though, because it was just never-ending cities and you're just smashing the whole time. <laughs> I don't know if that would get old for me. That's true. That's why I like the Lego games. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so speaking of VR games, also, thanks to Patrick again, who shared this one with us via Facebook, Alpha reported on... Cryer's VR game Robinson The Journey and we've talked about this game a little bit before but this is an in-depth article about it 
And in the game, you play Robin, who's a boy stranded on a mysterious planet after a ship crash lands. And an AI orb called Higgs helps him out. And then Robin also adopts a baby T-Rex as a pet. And it's an exploration game. And there are physics puzzles. So, for example, you fix a broken water wheel by picking up crates that are stuck. And you also relay power to an electric fence. So you get to interact with a lot of tools and encounter a lot of dinosaurs. And that seems like one of the more interactive VR games. At least that's how it sounds. Yeah. Next, in Saugus, Massachusetts, somebody bought the 20-foot orange dinosaur on Route 1 to save it from disappearing after the mini golf course where it lives is turned into apartment buildings, a hotel, and retail space. And This is according to Boston Herald. And we've talked about this dinosaur before, so it's good to know it's got a future. Uh, the project partner of all these buildings, Michael Barsamian, said that he bought the orange dinosaur and will install it next to the hotel. And he also said the dinosaur is like Boston's sitgo sign so there's no way he's gonna let it just disappear i don't know what boston's sitgo sign is but i definitely support buying (laughs) dinosaur sculptures if they're just gonna get torn down or thrown away yeah so it's nice next we have a few stories about people dressed in t-rex costumes because why not so first is a high school senior who dressed in a T-Rex costume for homecoming and won homecoming queen, according to CBS. I think it's kind of funny that T-Rex is the king, the tyrant king, won homecoming queen. So Sarah McDonald is the one who wore the T-Rex costume, and she wore a yellow tutu to go on top of the T-Rex costume. And she says she loves the movie Jurassic World and wants Chris Pratt to notice her. That's kind of why she did it. And her friends thought it was really funny, and then she won. So, pretty good night. There is also two people dressed as T-Rexes and one dressed as a gorilla, and they all went to the Giants Diamondbacks game at Chase Field, according to Fox Sports. There's a video of them walking around and high-fiving kids and adults. Although I think one of the lines is like, I hope you weren't annoyed if you had to sit behind them or something. Yeah, it's like when the people have the huge fat heads or whatever those things are called, those big signs that are just a face. I kind of think the same thing in that Mm. situation. That's true. Although it looked like the people in their immediate vicinity were all just taking pictures, so who knows. And last, thanks to Charles for sharing this one with us. So Geekology reported on an underground T-Rex fight club. Basically, two people dressed in T-Rex costumes, they're in harnesses, and they swing back and forth and whack each other with sticks. (laughs) It looked like they were inflatable sticks, but I couldn't tell for sure. They're surrounded by a circle of people, and they look hilarious because their heads are flopping around, and then their legs are kicking in the air. (laughs) And the ref is a guy in a demon mask, so we'll share the video on our blog and you can see for yourself. (laughs) Next... Artist Bela Arrieta painted a new Deinonychus mural in New Haven, Connecticut, according to Fox. And it's on an oil drum near the New Haven Harbor, which up until 2014 had a mural of Rudolf Zallinger's The Age of Reptiles artwork. And that was a replica of the one at the nearby Peabody Museum. But then the oil drum needed maintenance, and so they kind of disappeared. And this new mural is 72 feet by 36 feet, and it's expected to last about 20 years. So same as the last one. It's kind of cool to have this changing art. Yeah. Next, Ted Recklin, an artist from Bozeman, Montana, released a Tyrannosaurus Rex graphic novel recently, according to PJ Star. Ted and his wife Annie and his father Tom started a company called Rex Tooth Studios that is science-educated-minded, which sounds awesome. And with this company, they published the graphic novel. 
So the novel is about a T-Rex family that's on the hunt and on the run. Sounds pretty interesting. I wonder what they're running from. Yeah. <laughs> there aren't a lot of things that should be scaring them off. Maybe it's uh, some kind of natural oh, catastrophe yeah. type thing. They have to find their own Great Valley. Yeah. But it's just full of things to eat. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it was the Great Valley, that would be full of things to eat. Yeah, that's true. For T-Rex. That should have been what Land Before Time 2 was about. Uh, no, you can't kill off Littlefoot. <laughs> All the sharp teeth showing up. Well, that is what happened. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, next in Mount Coulomb in Queensland, Australia, three friends found a lost dinosaur, a, a raptor statue that's about five feet tall, and it was missing a tail, arm, and eye, and they found it on their hike, according to Mercury News. It had a note on it that said, quote, Big Pineapple Dinosaur 2013, return me to Big Pineapple, which is a tourist attraction, to my owner, I escaped from Kenilworth and want to go home, end quote. And even though it said 2013 on it, somebody said that they had gone to that same place a day or before and hadn't seen the dinosaur, so it had happened overnight. But anyway, the friends called Big Pineapple, but nobody knew what they were talking about. So they ended up carrying the dinosaur down the mountain and taking it to the police station so it could wait for its owner to pick it up. Huh. That's really strange. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting practical joke. I guess, yeah. And last in the news, according to Lusk Herald, on September 10th, the city of Lusk in Wyoming held a fundraiser for their local dinosaur guy, Todd Homer. A flood in 2015 took away a lot of his life's work, and he also recently had medical issues. So the fundraiser was to help him pay for some of his medical bills. And they raised over $1,000 at this spaghetti dinner where the owners of this restaurant, the pizza place, donated the dinner and handmade the noodles and sauce, which is really nice. It also happened to be Todd's birthday, though I guess nobody knew about it until that fundraiser was going on. <laughs> and so the event had toy dinosaurs that they painted gold and silver to give out as trophies, although in the article they said that one of them was Dimetrodon, and the people who made them found out later Dimetrodon isn't a dinosaur, and it became like a laughing point of the night. But anyway, just, I love pointing out these stories, because this is another great example of how dinosaurs bring people together in, in different ways. Yep, dinosaurs are the best. Yeah. Before we get into the dinosaur of the day, we have another word from the Royal Tyrol Museum. The Royal Tyrol Museum is one of the largest and most respected paleontology museums in the world. The museum takes you on a journey through time that brings you face-to-face -face with some of Canada's mightiest dinosaurs. With nine ever-evolving galleries, fun hands-on activities, and the rugged beauty of Alberta's badlands that yield the greatest diversity of dinosaur fossils in the world, there's something for everyone. So one of the latest exhibits is called Fossils in Focus. And it's a rotating exhibit, and it highlights some of the museum's most scientifically significant specimens. So one of the things is called Horns Through Time, and it's got a Centrosaurus and Styracosaurus skulls that you can see. There's also a Hadrosaur, which apparently a father and two sons had found while fishing in southwestern Alberta in 2014, so that's pretty cool. It's older than other hadrosaur fossils found in Alberta, and it could possibly be a new species. That's cool. Yeah. And there's also a late Cretaceous amber piece that has fragments of a feather, which either came from a bird or a dinosaur. And there's also a thing they call monkeying around in Alberta, and it's 
some fossils of early primates. Huh. Yeah, because they do more than just dinosaurs. It's all sorts of paleontology. I was a little surprised when we were up by the Pipestone Creek bone bed, which is also in Alberta. They showed us that there's a lot of amber that's also found mixed in with the dinosaur fossils in parts of Alberta. So it's pretty cool. It is, yeah. And sometimes in those pieces of amber, I'm not sure if they found them in Canada, but I know in China occasionally they'll find a feather or something that might be from a dinosaur. So it's pretty neat. Oh, actually, yeah, they did. We covered one time in China where they found part of a wing from a dinosaur. So it's definitely possible that they could find something like that in Canada too, if they haven't already. Yeah. And if you're looking to support paleontological research, you can become a member of the Royal Tyrrell Museum, and their membership program supports its scientific research, exhibits, and education programs, and offers unlimited admission to the museum. If you want more information, you can go to tyrrellmuseum.com, which is spelled T-Y-R-R-E-L-L museum.com. And now for our dinosaur of the day, Irritator, which was a request from Cole via Patreon. So thanks, Cole. Irritator is a spinosaurid theropod that lived in the early Cretaceous in what is now Brazil, and it was described in 1996 by Martel, Crookshank, Frey, Small, and Clark in their paper, A New Crested Manoraptor and Dinosaur from the Santana Formation, Lower Cretaceous of Brazil. It was more fully described in the paper Irritator Challengeri, a spinosaurid Dinosauria theropoda from the Lower Cretaceous of Brazil, which was published in 2002. Only one fossil has been found, and it's of a 32-inch or 80-centimeter long skull, a nearly complete skull. It's not well-preserved. There was plaster that obscured the fossil, which was added by fossil poachers who illegally sold the fossil to make the fossil look more complete. And the buyers, unfortunately, didn't realize the amount of work required to restore this fossil when they bought it, and that's how it became known as Irritator. (laughs) That's a pretty funny origin story. Yeah, The authors wrote that the name came from, quote, irritation, the feeling the authors felt understated here when discovering that the snout had been artificially elongated, end quote. (laughs) Yeah, we, there was that one dinosaur that was discovered at the bottom of a cliff in Argentina, and it got named after a local demon or something that like torments farmers for a similar reason, like they had been cursed with this particularly difficult excavation (laughs) those are the funniest names so the type species is irritator challengeri and the species name is in honor of professor challenger a character in arthur conan doyle's the lost world which is a story about an expedition to the amazon basin where the characters find dinosaurs it's not known exactly where the fossil was found since it was sold illegally but it probably came from the Romaldo member of the santana formation based on the type of rock it's found in This area is about 110 million years old and came from a time when Africa and South America were still connected in the north of Brazil. Irritator probably ate fish. It may have eaten other animals, whatever it could catch as well. There's a pterosaur found with a tooth, probably from Irritator, in its neck, so maybe it ate pterosaurs. It had thin teeth, which would have been good for catching slippery prey, and it constantly replaced its teeth. Its skull looks a lot like Suchomimus and Spinosaurus, and it's got this crocodile-like head. Does it look like a Spinosaurus even without the artificial elongation? Yes, and it had nostrils at the back of its skull as well, which was also crocodile-like. Cool. 
So it's thought to have a sagittal crest, which is a bony ridge on the top of the skull that's attached to the jaw muscles. And this crest means it probably had strong neck muscles, so it could close its jaws quickly, even in water, but that doesn't mean that it's specialized in eating fish. Irritators often considered to be synonymous with Engaterama, which lived at the same time and place. Also, the fossils found on Engaterama seem to complete the irritator fossil, so they could even be the same specimen, which would be crazy. Hmm. And Engaterama was described in 1996 shortly after Irritator, based on a fossil found in the Santana Formation. And later, 60% of the skeleton was found, so a replica was made and put on display at the Rio de Janeiro National Museum. Several paleontologists think that Irritator and Angaterama are different, though, based on Angaterama having a higher, more flattened head, I guess. Hmm. Diane Scott fully cleaned the skull of Irritator, and that's how there was a new paper published in 2002 to further describe the specimen. And they found that, you know, there's this narrow skull with an elongated snout, but it turns out the back of the skull was deeper than originally thought. Its teeth were similar to Spinosaurus aegypticus, but it's hard to compare other parts of the body because of the lack of fossils. In this 2002 description of Irritator, they also found that it didn't actually have a crest. Huh. Yeah. In 2004, parts of a spinal column of a Spinosaurus were found in the Santana Formation, and they are thought to belong to Irritator. So Irritator is estimated to be about 26 feet or 8 meters long, though Gregory Paul said in 2010 it may have only been 7.5 meters long. It may have had a sail too, but that's just a guess since no fossil has been found. Yeah, there's always a lot of speculation that goes on, especially with these super partial finds. But if the skull looks just like Spinosaurus, it seems like odds are good that it would have a sail like Spinosaurus. And our fun fact of the day is that although it's illegal to export fossils from China, this Attacosaurus that I mentioned earlier with the super awesome model that got recreated out of it is known as SMFR4970, if you're interested. It can be useful to know these names because then you, when you search for things, you'll make sure you're looking at the same one. But They're easy to remember. Yeah, that's really the problem. It turns out that that specimen, though, was taken out of China and sold on the black market a few times before being bought by the Senckenberg Museum in Germany. So if you live nearby, you should probably go see it soon in case it gets repatriated back to China, which it probably should since it was sold illegally. But the Senckenberg Museum may not have known that the fossil was smuggled out when they bought it, since the law used to be a little bit less well-known and there was a little bit of confusion about whether it was illegal or legal to buy fossils out of China. But according to an article by Liston and Yu, things were clarified a bit in 2013. And if you're wondering if a specimen was illegally or legally exported from China, quote, the most effective way to check is to look for the unique Ministry of Land and Resources registration number with which your material should have arrived. If your material has this number, then it has left the People's Republic of China legally. If your Chinese fossil material does not have this number, then it is appropriate to be concerned as to just how it came to leave that country, end <laughs> quote. <laughs> so look for that Ministry of Land and Resources registration number if you're ever dealing with these Chinese fossils, because they should all have one. Good to know. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. And again... 
We invite you to celebrate with us for our 100th episode. So check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash inodino and get it on those rewards. Until next time. Thank you for listening to I Know Dino. If you have any questions or comments about dinosaurs, we'd like to hear from you at plesiosaur at inodino.com. And for more information on dinosaurs, go to inodino.com or follow us on Google, Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter at inodino.